Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our work and the work of spiritual companionship on our website, sdicompanions.org. I am very grateful to be able to share with you the recording of this conversation I recently had with Jennifer Jinx Hoffman, psychotherapist and spiritual director, longtime poetry editor for SDI, 18 years. Jinx is the author of the SDI Press book, The Light of God's Shadow. And in this conversation, we, we catch up. We talk about writing poetry, about the process of writing, and just how to live ordinary life in an extraordinary way. I don't know how else to put it. So, Jinx, it's it's really good to connect with you in this way. You and I haven't haven't talked in a while, and we haven't heard from you in a little bit. And uh, so, welcome. Thank you for thank you for taking the time today. I'm happy to be here. Really happy. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, I'm happy too. Um, we've been friends for a while. You have been a seminal figure in SDI's history. Can you just share a little bit about the when you first came to SDI, what your history with, with the organization and however you want to share about that? Um, I joined SDI when I was a student, student becoming a, a spiritual director. And I was a member of the very, very first training program of Jewish spiritual directors in North America. So until I trained, there were no training programs for Jewish spiritual directors and Jewish people trained in Christian programs. But the year I was going to train to become a spiritual director, the very first program opened up. So it was really remarkable. And it was in 2001, which is a long time ago. And um, I joined SDI, I think, when I was still a student, which would have been about 2002. Our teachers, who were um, Bobby Brightman, Avram Addison, and Zary Weiss, encouraged us as students to join. And I did join SDI, and I went to conferences as students. So really, it's over 20 years that I've been very connected to SDI. And then in about 2005, I think, Liz Elman, who was the executive director, and Nick Wagner, who was the editor, were walking one day. And I'd had a poem published in, in Presence. And Liz stopped me and she said, Nick needs help with poetry. Will you help Nick with poetry? And I said, okay. And I started then, and I've been the poetry editor ever since. So that's another very, very long association. And of course, I learned a lot and am learning a lot about poetry, being the poetry editor, because I'm not an intellectual poet. 
And then in 2014, no, 2008, I was invited onto the board. I was the Jewish representative on the board. And that was for six years. And I loved the six years on the board. So I've been very actively involved with SDI since 2002. So I'm a, an old dame, <laughs> an old dame. I love it. Well, I, you know, time is relative. And I think of, I'm in my sixth year, which feels like a long time for me, but it's really just a <laughs> blip on the radar. And I was doing the math in my head. You have been poetry editor for 18 years then. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And I want to ask you about that because you you choose poems for listen and presence, which you mentioned. I I find it interesting. You don't call yourself an intellectual poet. And I'm not just saying this. Like I I do love your poetry. And I was I was contemplating why this morning before we talked here. And it's it's the clarity, the clarity of your voice. And the clarity in which you write of your own life and experiences. I am transported. Like I become you. And it's a very strange thing to say. I can I can picture myself as you walking into the store and noticing things and having, you know, experiencing emotions and thoughts. And it's the experience is so real and so vivid. And I don't want to say like, oh, I just, I relate to your poetry because that's not right. That's too trite. There's a a real sense of aliveness. And I, I just offer that to you just as uh, how I resonate with your with your work. But also I do, there's a question in there. And the question is just is, how do you select poetry for presence or for listen? What, what do you, what do you look for? What do you listen for? I want to first answer your question about my own poetry because when you were talking, it's lovely to hear you or anybody reflecting on my writing back to me. That I mean, isn't that maybe in some ways what we all want, which is somebody to pay close attention to that which comes from within us, our deepest places? You know, it's it's almost as primitive as the gleam in the mother's eyes that we all wanted and hopefully received as infants, that when we were born and our mothers looked at us and their eyes gleamed, we were born into a self. And that is what we all long for, I think. And some of us are lucky enough to receive. So as artists, Matt, you're an artist. And when somebody looks at your art, like really looks at it and pays attention and says, like, like with my book cover, because you did the art for my book cover, you painted a painting. And the painting became the cover. And you went into creating the cover of the book in relationship to what you were reading. And then you sent it to me and I fainted. It was so beautiful. 
of course I'm being dramatic, but your art is beautiful, but I didn't just, I hope, say, I love it, it's beautiful. I hope I held a bit of a mirror to what I was seeing, as you just did to my poetry. You held a bit of a mirror. You said your poetry is real, and I can really relate to it. You didn't use the word accessible, but I think that's what you were saying. And to have you or anybody pay attention to our work is a very, very holy thing, I think. My poetry and my prose come from my God place. And what is my God place? My God place is my everything place because I truly, truly believe that everything is God or the divine or the sacred. And that as I walk through my days, I am studying God. And so when poems arise from the place of studying the divine or the sacred, that's a gift to me as well. And I believe the invitation from God to me and to all of us is just to be as damn real as we can be, to be as unpretentious or glamorized or prettified, but just to be who we are. I also believe that life is, God is, teaching us all the time to be more who we are, to be who we are more all the time especially, as I say in my book, a thousand times through the messes we make. I, I wanted to talk about the cover for a moment because you and I worked on that together and and I wanted to honor the, what you had offered as well. As, you know, as, an, as an artist, it's, it's very challenging to offer one's image making in service to someone else. And, and I remember... You had written something about the kind of cover you wanted. And I remember I remember reading, I want lots of light and I want lots of dark and I see red. And uh, it was very much a, a design challenge, but one that I, I relished because I know how deeply you, you care about this book and not just about the book, but about the story of the book and the story jinx is is your your own life and it has no categorization like it's it's kind of a memoir but it's not a memoir it almost reads like a novel with, with vignettes of your life which are also transporting interspersed with poetry that you write and also interspersed with wisdom of what you call your six here these six wisdom teachers that you draw inspiration from and encouragement from. I think in, on the back cover somewhere, you refer to it really as a book about waking up. And that's what it, it most strikes me as, is, is a almost like a manual on how to be alive, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Reading this book is, is a practical manual on how to be most alive. Oh, what a beautiful thing to say, it's bringing tears to my eyes. You know, here's a little history 
since I was a little girl, I had a dream of having a book published. And um, I wrote poems since I was a child. And I did have a book of poetry published by Wiffenstock in 2016. And that was enough. It was beautiful. As we say in Hebrew, that was dayenu, enough. And in 2017, I was reading these six wisdom teachers. I feel like God, whatever God is, and I always say whatever God is, because I don't know what God is. God led me to this group of people, and I found that there was a group. And I was reading them, and poems were coming in response to them. And I, I felt like I was getting the message, put a collection together of poems about these wisdom teachers. And I said, no, thank you. But the voice was insistent. And I thought, well, okay, I'll start. And I began to put together a collection of poems for a second book of poetry. And then the world and my life fell apart. And this is really what caused the prose to be written because I started trying to manage my life and all the challenges I was having by writing. I call it to and from God, the writing. I don't know if this is the way you feel your art to be met, to and from the divine. You're saying hello or thank you to the divine. And also the divine is simply speaking through you. Do you relate to that? Yes. yes you do. Oh, yeah. So the prose arrived. It started arriving. And I had to find somebody to help me because I thought I'm not a good prose writer. And I knew this very wonderful woman. Her name is Emily Witchland. And I called her and said, will you be my prose person? And she said, yes. She had been the editor for Jewish Lights um, Publishing and, and Spiritual Lights Publishing. And she used to bring books to the SDI conferences, which is how we met. Yes. Amazing, hey? The hand of God in all of this, right, Matt? Yeah. All these extraordinary synchronicities. So what happened first, as I say in my book, was I was overtaken by a terrible feeling of dread, like dark, dark, dark dread, like something awful had walked into my brain and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to do about it. And I'm a very sophisticated psychological person. I'm a psychotherapist. I've worked on myself with help for like 40 years and I could not budge this dread. And it lasted for four months. Nothing I did budged it. And then it disappeared, just like that. And two weeks later, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. Many people said the dread was alerting me to the colon cancer. And maybe it was. I don't know. I don't know very much at all anyway. And then COVID arrived in the world. So I had to have chemotherapy radiation. And then 
four months later surgery. And when I went in to the hospital for surgery was the start of when people weren't allowed into hospitals. So I dragged my little case on my own into the hospital. Alan couldn't even take me into the hospital. He dropped me outside and I kissed him goodbye and I went into a hospital for surgery. It was a shocking thing. The cancer was removed. Nurses wore masks. I wore masks the whole time. And then the very worst thing that happened was the death of our oldest son, Ellie. So these three very shocking things happened. And I was writing this book. I didn't know it was going to be a book, but it turned out to be a book to help me manage this time. You asked about being awake. When I was training to become a psychotherapist, one of my teachers, who was magnificent, said, Jinx, if we're awake 10% of the time, it's a lot. I was shocked by that. And I believe it's true. Even those of us who are in the business yeah. are awake. I was going to say, maybe on a good day, 10%. <laughs> yeah. But Carl Jung said, life goes better with consciousness. So all the ways we can wake ourselves up with help from others makes us kinder people, Matt, to others and to ourselves. So being awake is a good thing. And I have five ways. But I'm interested in your ways of being awake. My ways of being awake. I will share those before I do. We become kinder. I'm curious about the benefits. I've been thinking about this a lot. It's the the awakening that we all need, the awareness of our consciousness and the power and the magic that comes with that. And, and in your writing, you know, as you said there, the, there's the dread and there's the cancer and there's loss and pain and suffering and all of that comes with that awakening. Like we can't hide from it. And so... Why do we need to awaken, do you think? You know, my dreams are incredible. I'm very blessed with my dreams. And I have dreams all the time. I believe God is talking to me through my dreams. And one of the dreams was, I often get a sentence, and that's the dream. This was a phrase, why bother? And I knew, I knew immediately that why bother was why bother waking up? So you've got your ways, I've got my ways, I've got five waking up tools, but why bother waking up? Because if we're awake, we can see the ways we're unkind met. If we're awake, we're conscious. If we're conscious, we can see the ways we're unkind to ourselves and to others, to the planet Earth. Honestly, I think kindness is the goal. I don't think there's any more important goal than kindness. You know, kindness to the X degree is love, right? Same continuum. Kindness and love are related. So kindness, when we're awake to the ways in which we're a little tired and we grab you with our kid or our partner, and if we catch ourselves, we're enough awake to catch ourselves, we then have a choice to be kind and to ourselves too. I'm being miserable to my kid because I'm, I'm overloaded. I'm doing too much. 
what do I need to do about that, Holy Blessed One? Does that answer your question, Matt? It does. It does. It's a it's a beautiful response to learn to be kind to ourselves and to others. And yeah, to answer your question, how do I do that? Well, I want to affirm the arts, the relationship with the arts too, that there is very much a dialogue going on between me and material, be that paint or photo or drawing. And the the dialogue, as soon as I begin, like the object becomes its own being. And and I think that, you know, when I talk about art making, I talk about it as a listening practice. Like what mm. does this object need to be? Like what is being birthed here? What is being mm. created? There's something in me that is helping bring that into being. But I bristle a little bit at authorship, like then mm. coming from, you know, some something in me that is like really brilliant and smart. And, and here it is. And so the if there is a, a question that comes in the making of that, that is part of the dialogue, it is help. Help me with this. Mm. Help me something. Help me God. Help me the mm. thing that is being made. Like, what do you need to be? Help me understand that. Mm. Mm. Because I, I try to be open-ended with the process. I don't want to begin with, you know, oh, I want to make a painting of a mountain. So let's go mm. make a painting of a mountain. I will do that. But when I'm really like engaged with uh, the hard part of the practice, it's it's not knowing what it's going to be. Oh. Oh. And when it's done, people probably won't know either, which is why I'm, there's also that wrestling with clarity and mirroring. I want whatever is made to mirror back to somebody who they are their experience of their own life and their own experiences feel with your work too my practices of waking up involve right now meditation because mm -hmm. i'm working on quieting the thinking mind i think my thinking mind gets in the way of my awareness it clouds my ability because my thinking mind is thinking about what happened before or what's coming ahead and distracts me from right now and I want to soak up right now as much as I can, like soaking up olive oil with a piece of bread, just like get every last ounce of it. Because mm -hmm. I love life, Jinx. I love it. I cherish it. And I just want every little drop of olive oil to get absorbed uh -huh. in the bread. I want to experience and appreciate and be in wonder of it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But you know what gets in the way? Is this mind that's like, oh, you got to finish that assignment. You got to, you know, post that thing. You got to like make this thing. You got to go make dinner. You got to go walk the dog, all mm. this stuff. So that's, uh, that's, that's me right now. That's my, that's my work when it comes to being more awake. Mm. If, as we say, sometimes when we work with other people's dreams, right? If this were my dream, what you've just told me, and I bet you do this a hundred times, I would pray whatever prayer is. I would ask the wisdom that's greater than I am. What do I need to do to help get my thinking mind more out of the way? And that's part of the waking up. And the, as you said, you when you create art, you say help. I would also love and bless my thinking mind. I would also tell my thinking mind a million times how grateful I am for all the gifts it gives me. Such an important part of, of who we are is also the part of ourselves that gets in the way of who we are. 
So the waking up process involves knowing ourselves more and more and more all the time as I see it. Maybe my primary waking up practice is journaling to God. And when I write, I see, you know, and it's not the easy and beautiful parts of life and and of who I am that give me the problems. It's the messy parts. And the messy parts usually come from our childhood wounds for most of us. So my spiritual practices or my waking up practices are working with my dreams because God's going to talk to me, whatever God is, about what I don't know. And it's what we don't know that gives us trouble and blesses us. Yeah. My dreams, journaling, daily walking. i got to get my tootsies out <laughs> into nature. And I walk and I pray three times for healing and health to all, all those I love and to the entire world. And then enough praying and I just listen. I just try and be as quiet as I am. And then, you know, what happens often these days, Matt, have you seen the Netflix series New Amsterdam by any chance? No. Alan and I are watching it, and we're both completely in love with it. It's doctors in New York, and it's stories about their lives, really. And there's currently in the fifth season a deaf doctor, and she's a woman. And she's deaf and she signs the whole time. I don't know how to sign, but I feel like I want to learn how to sign. Mm-hmm. I'm so moved by her signing and by her interpreter who companions her all the time, even when she's doing surgery, because people speak and he has to tell her what they're saying. Well, why am I telling you about Dr. Elizabeth Wilder right now? Because I'm obsessed with her. I find myself thinking about her and about how she hums and makes the the most tender sounds when she signs. She makes kind of sounds. I don't know if you heard that. And I find that so incredibly moving. So whenever I'm obsessed with anything, I see that as a God call. It's like what I call a waking dream. So I want to know why am I obsessed with Elizabeth Wilder, the deaf doctor in New Amsterdam. And I've been thinking about that and I need to think and write about that because I figure it's one of the ways God wants me to know more of myself and the more I know myself, the more I can serve God. Uh, That's so beautiful. And I love, I think the... The lesson there that you just shared is like just listening to the things within that resonate with you, you know, Mm -hmm. deaf doctor and the Netflix show, the person who's signing and the little whatever the sound was that that they say or or speak or the, the sound that is made and your curiosity about all of that. And even that maybe I want to learn sign language, but that just that that's something within you that is that is drawn to that. And that you name that as that's God telling you something, God communicating with you and you, you want to honor that. I just, I think that's such a beautiful lesson 
And it's such an easy one, I think, for us to, to receive and practice. How do you really know that that is God speaking to you? Oh, great, great question. I don't. Of course I don't. But even if it isn't, is it going to be a problem that I go deeply into trying to understand why? Is it going to be a problem that I learn sign language? It may, actually. You know, I can't think of ways. Let's say I devote too much time to learning sign language and not enough time to walking or my grandchildren or something. It could be a problem. The thing is, I'm supposed to listen all the time. I'm supposed to keep listening. If I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God, but I call God life, I want to pay attention to life all the time and to what life is asking of me, how life is asking me to wake up. And I may be making a mistake in thinking life is asking me to learn sign language. But then I'll go and try and learn sign language. And if I keep staying awake, I'll realize this is a mistake. So the learning is infinite and all the time. And life is talking all the time. Creation, existence is occurring all the time. You can't argue with that. I call it God, that God is Godding all the time. Yeah, I love that verb. Yeah. I don't know if it's God. Something is happening all the time. Um, three quarters of an hour older than when we met, Matt, and can you believe that? And I will never be as young as I was three quarters of an hour ago, and I'm old, and I want to be as alive as I can be at 80. My husband's 84, and I'm 80, and we talk all the time, Matt. It's so beautiful about death getting closer and closer and closer and how we want to live towards our death as awake as possible. So I want to read a poem. Can I read a poem? Yes, please. Thank you. This poem is called One Moment and the Next, and it begins with an epigraph by my beloved Michael Fishbane, who's one of my six. And he says, death and life are one. Isn't that perfect? I open the book there. Together they express infinitude. And the poem says, the days are relentless. Nothing you can do to prevent them from slipping away like a bar of soap in a bubble-filled bathtub. One moment you say yes and your heart leaps. The next, you are staring down your death and his your body's hieroglyphs of aches and age. You stood that time under the chuppah. You, you were meant to feel awe. But all you could do after exchanging stifled laughter and wedding rings was shimmer as you watched the rabbi's beaker filled to the brim with blood-red wine tilt dangerously toward your white bridal gown. So young, you both knew you had forever. Jinx, how, how do you receive that poem right here now? I find it really beautiful that 
it echoes what I just spoke to you. So some people say God is synchronicity. So that's just gorgeous to me. If God is not synchronicity, isn't it just gorgeous that I spoke to you about the, the, that thing and I thought I want to read a poem. And if I wanted to find that poem, I would have had to scrabble through the book and I wasn't about to do that. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is it feels like another invitation to live as awake as I can toward my death. I'm 80. I've lived longer than my parents and longer than many, many in my family. It's quite something being 80. Yeah. And it's hard. It's really hard sometimes. And it's wonderful sometimes. Much like life, right? Hard and wonderful. Yeah. As you were reading the poem to me, the phrase that sticks to my gut is the relentlessness of the days. And even even now, I'm I can be in the the moment. I can enjoy our conversation. I can enjoy this cup of coffee, and I can just look just a, just slightly to my left and just see this infinite dark chasm. And maybe that's maybe that's death. Maybe it's I don't know what, but they're it's all there at the same time simultaneously. It's awake, man. You know, you also you also preface it with a with a that wisdom that like life and death are one. And as you are, you know, as you are naming your age and this moment in your in your in your life, what is your relationship to death? How am I in relation to death? Well, I'm a recovering hypochondriac, so you know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I wish I wasn't, but if I have body symptoms, anything that feels off with my body, I get anxious. So I get to work my fear of death if I have symptoms. You know, when I say symptoms, it could be a little indigestion and I feel a little something in my chest, which I actually don't, but I just chose that example. Then I've got a very dark side that will say heart attack. So I get to work my relationship with death. But I'm very blessed in that I don't have a lot of symptoms. So on the one hand, I'm fearful of death. On the other hand, I think there is a deep place of reality in me, which knows I'm going to die and lives peacefully with that. You know, Matt, I'm obsessed with both and. The book is about the dark and the light. Yeah. And that's one of my obsessions. It's a good obsession because I see it as being reality. You, you just said it a moment ago so beautifully. You said, I'm so awake and so grateful for being alive. And I look slightly to the left and there is a dark chasm and that may be death. And when you live like that, not in a neurotic way, you don't want ideally to be neurotically worrying about your death if we need some help to try and figure out what's going on. But if we can live in a deeply spiritual way, awake to life and death, I think that's very beautiful. And I do manage that some of the time. Well, some of the time is probably better than most. 
<laughs> yeah. I want to also name the ways you talk about God and the ways you talk to God, because you also say you have this relationship. You speak to God, you pray, you are a prayerful person, but you also see God in everything. And I think I think in your book, I'm recalling that you you may have explored this this notion that as we work on waking up, that we are collectively awakening godness in the world. Is that accurate? Completely. That's a Jewish mystical belief. Okay. Okay. That our waking up helps God wake up. That might be the most profound thing in your book. I mean, from my reading of it, from when we published it, that is very real to me. I'm reading the Julian of Norwich showings by Mirabai Star, her recent translation. And, and in that, Julian of Norwich speaks to God in each of us. And then in God is everything, right? Which is, is such a, a it's, I mean, it's just a beautiful image of the divine in each mm-hmm. of us. And then in, in that little spark is everything. Yes. I guess I will say you feel very much like you can dialogue. You can be in relationship on a personal personal, intimate level? Honestly, I'm not kidding when I say I really do talk to God the whole time. Like a little kind of ongoing dialogue, something like Dr. Wilder's going on, you know, her sweet sounds, my little to God going on all the time. And really, it's like, what should we have for lunch today? It's everything. It's really everything. I've thought about God here now with you a lot of times. And I think God said, hey, read a poem. I think. I don't know. Maybe it's just my vanity which said read a poem. But I think. So, yeah, in the spiritual direction work I do, I do a lot of let's shut our eyes and be quiet and just open ourselves and see if we hear anything from the beloved. I do that several times in every session. And I'm always careful to say that doesn't mean we will hear something, but let's just open ourselves. And very often somebody will get a memory, a childhood memory. And if we just follow that memory, it leads us to where they need to go which may have been God talking, I don't know. But if I go quiet and, hey, God, talk to me, please, I also seldom get anything. It's not like I talk all the time and God answers me, hey, Jinx, what about? But I think God answers in my life, through my life. That's sort of how I see it. Because I think on on balance, my life has been magnificently more wonderful than terrible. Yeah. And I just hear in you an abiding trust in that relationship and in that dialogue and in that divine presence, right? It could be vanity, but why go there? I'm just going to trust. Trust that this is indeed God. And I'm going to trust that and follow that. You know, for me, it feels a little bit like a no-brainer in the sense of, you know, if you pay attention, like Matt, you're such a glorious human being. So me sitting with you, we haven't had a conversation like this ever. And it's beautiful. And I'm getting to meet a tiny bit of you. And you're just breathtaking. And then I look out the window and the sky is blue in Toronto and there's some crazy looking clouds. It's a no-brainer. Like 
life is so sacred that it feels like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. I, I couldn't agree more. Oh, Jinx, this is such a beautiful affirmation of life, just sitting here and talking with you. And your book is a beautiful affirmation of life. And it is is such an honor to have gotten to work a little bit on it with you in regards to the cover and the layout and an honor for SDI Press to, to host your story and to share it with the world. And so letting people know that the light of God's shadow is something every, every spiritual companion should read. And anyone curious about the need to wake up and to learn to trust and to understand life as a no-brainer and all that it has to offer, the pain and the joy, read this book. Read this book. Mm -hmm. I recommend it more. And thank you for writing it and for offering it to us. And thank you for blessing this community for the last couple of decades. And every day that you are a part of our community is a gift, Chinks. And I am grateful to know you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for this time. It's really been beautiful. You're very welcome. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.